Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to episode number four of the Pepper Mindset. Our topic today is when you've seen beyond yourself. And this is going to be a great chat about global connections within the Beatles and without the Beatles. Um, We have a lovely, lovely show in mind for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in to our Pepper Mindset series. You are such a lovely audience. We'd love to be a part of your Pepper home uh, every week. So thank you so much for tuning in to our show and posting about it all over the wide world of the Internet, social media. Um, I'm such a nerd. I um, love seeing all the posts. So thank you so much, everybody, for all that you do. I am one of the co-hosts for this Pepper Journey. My name is Lena Stagg. I am the author of Recipe Records Cookbook Series. And my co-host today is the Pepperland Principal, Sean Gaylord, who's going to join me in just a moment, along with two special guests. We have a professional Beatles scholar with us today, Aaron Kadovich, and he's one of my most favorite people. He lives in Indiana, so that makes him awesome, just like uh, other people that live in Indiana. And Marty Edwards, who was the founder of the Chicagoland Beatle People Fan Club in the 1960s. So we have great guests on, and I have a, to do a give a quick thank you to our audio engineer Jeff Emmerich, our Rand Kessler for providing the music for the show. I have, we are truly indebted to Mr. Rand for getting the music for us. It's awesome. And our thanks to Nicole at 910 Public Relations and Jay Kelly Art. You can find those guys on all kinds of social media. Uh, Nicole is fabulous at Public Relations, and Jay Kelly is fabulous with his art. So check them out on social media. Firstly, we would like to express our sincere condolences to those affected by the tragedy in Manchester, England. We have a lot of friends over there, and that's the reason for our show is about those from those boys in England. So we will continue to keep the city in our thoughts and prayers. I was listening to the Sirius XM Beatles channel today, and uh, George Harrison sang to me, as he does every morning. And he was, I, I just picked up on that wonderful line in his song all those years ago, who you might know who uh, he tributes in, in that song. He says, you said it all, though not many had ears all those years ago. And I thought of the many, many wise words that John Lennon had spoken And the first that came into my mind was, give peace a chance. And so hoping that we can do that throughout our world. And John so definitely wanted everybody to listen to his message. But that that message just kind of stuck with me this morning. And it also reminded me that I have a recipe for peace in my Recipe Records cookbook, the 60s edition. Give peas a chance. Only, I am sure that John Lennon would have liked that salad um, if he had a copy of the cookbook. So be sure and check out your copy of Recipe Records at Amazon. I also have a new website. It's still being tweaked, but you can find it at www.lena.com. 
stag, S-T-A-G-G.com. So uh, there will be many more updates to the website shortly. But I'm going to turn it over to Sean, who is going to guide us along this global chat today. He is first up going to chat with Aaron Kadovich, who is a Beatles, a full-time Beatles scholar. He won a research grant through the University of Hartford to study the Beatles and has since been using all of that knowledge to present um, programs, presentations, and such across the USA and England. He has written many, many books. One thing that I love about Aaron's website, which is www.aaronkadovich, which is a little bit of a mouthful, doesn't uh, look like it sounds, K-R-E-R-O-W-I-C-Z.com. I think the website is on the show link too, that uh, you show screen that you might be looking at. But he has a spot on his website called the Beatles Minute, and you will feel so smart when you listen and uh, take in the information that Aaron puts out on his Beatles Minute. It is packed full of terrific, cool Beatles knowledge, and um, highly recommend it. If you can't find it on his website, it's also on YouTube. So uh, check that out. And we will also be speaking with Marty Edwards, who um, was the Chicagoland Beatles fan club founder. I think I said that right. And she also is the author of a book, 16 in 64. So she was 16 in 64, and she got to meet the Beatles. So we're going to listen to um, hopefully some really good stories about that event in her life. So we are excited to have everyone on. I'm going to attempt to get everyone connected. Hello, Sean, are you there? Hello, Lena. I am here in our virtual Abbey Road studio, too. Rock on. We are ready to go. <laughs> I'm going to see if Aaron is connected now, and I will let you take it away. All right. Aaron, are you there, my friend? I am indeed. Awesome. This is uh, great to have you here on the Pepper Mindset. And one of the things that I enjoy being the roadie to all of the the, the Beatle scholars and authors here is I get to just meet and connect with such interesting folks. Um, and, and Aaron, it's great to, to meet you. And, and, and I'm anxious to learn more about your, uh, your, your professional Beatles scholarhood as, as an educator myself and as a principal. Uh, you, you have what appears to be a, a dream job. And, uh, I know, um, I, I'm feeling slightly outnumbered here because uh, you and Lena are both uh, indigenous to Indiana, and I am not. So uh, <laughs> I hope I'm just as awesome as you guys are. So, again, welcome so much. Thank you for being here. And thank you for hosting. Wonderful. Um, for for the folks out there, for the fans out there, for the for the Beatle geeks out there, tell us a little bit about uh, your journey uh, towards becoming a a Beatles scholar and 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 what does that mean? I mean, I'm I'm just fascinated by that, man. Yeah, certainly. It's um, uh, so so when I I call myself uh, a scholar, what I mean is I do academic musical analysis, and so my background is as a classical composer and music theorist. And so in my uh, eight years and three degrees worth of collegiate level music study, I learned all sorts of analytical techniques and how to, uh, how to process musical information and present it in a way uh, that, that makes sense. And so uh, a lot of what I do is taking these classical analytic techniques that I learned in school and I apply them to popular music contexts uh, and the Beatles specifically. So um, the, my two most recent books that I just published about a month ago 
It's a two-volume encyclopedia called Beatles Study. And volume one looks at structure. So verses, choruses, bridges, solos, introductions, conclusions, all that kind of stuff, and how they interact, how, how the Beatles chose to present their songs, how these songs unfold in time. So that one's looking at, at structure and all the different ways that the Beatles um, um, provide form uh, to their musical creations. The second volume is called Harmonic Analysis of Beatles Music, and it's looking extensively at chords and different chord progressions. And I go through every single uh, song, all 211 officially uh, recorded and released songs uh, between 62 and 1970, and I document every single chord progression, both how the chord is approached, what comes immediately before it, and how the chord progresses, what comes immediately afterwards. And so they're, they're exhaustive um, uh, studies, uh, they're, they're exhaustive studies of, uh, of the Beatles songs from a musical perspective as opposed to historical or biographical. That's what I mean uh, when I call myself uh, a Beatles scholar, is I do that type of analysis. Oh, wow, that, that is exciting work. And, and both books, Beatles Study volume, Volumes 1 and 2, those, those are readily available off, off Amazon and off your website? Uh, they're, they're available on Amazon. I'm working to try and get them on the website, but I don't have them up yet. Uh, I also have them uh, available for purchase after each of my speaking engagements. Um, if you go on my website, you can find my upcoming calendar and the full list of exactly where and when and which topics I'll be speaking on. Uh, and and I, I typically sell uh, my books after each of my speaking engagements uh, as well as on Amazon. That's exciting. Thank you for sharing that. What, what would you say from from your perspective, and, and we're going to delve a little bit into the the global uh, influence and inspiration, specifically with George, George Harrison, and and connected to uh, Ravi Shankar and such. But but for those um, out there, what what would you say? Just I guess is maybe an underrated. Um, maybe sophisticated musical technique or musical analysis of the Beatles that people, that people would miss or the, or the casual fan would miss? Sure, yeah. With the one that comes to mind with, with Pepper's 50th anniversary coming up, uh, what, in next, next week, two weeks? I think it's next week. Yeah, um, a couple days. Yes. The, yeah. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's coming up quickly. And uh, so, so the title track to that album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, has a unique structure. Uh, no other Beatles song uses uh, this palindromic arch structure. So palindrome is something that's the same forwards as it is backwards. And uh, right. as is the case hmm. with, with, uh, with the Sgt. Pepper's, it opens with a verse, then you get the bridge, then you get the chorus, then you get the bridge, then you get the verse. So using alphabetic labels, it's A, B, C, B, A. And you could take it even further because it has an introduction and a coda on the end. So it's intro, A, B, C, B, A, coda. It's the same forwards as it is backwards. It's also an arch structure because each step of the way uh, is, is, um, is something new until you get to that keystone. The chorus that's in the center is the keystone. Uh, and then... And then out from that, uh, it, it, it repeats just in reverse, making it, making it palindromic. So, um, and and that's, that's what I mean when I call it an arch structure, uh, as opposed to, uh, I don't want to get too technical, but rondo structure is, is one where you do have that uh, yeah. repeating section uh, that is heard frequently throughout the song. That's not what we get in Sgt. Pepper. So why is it significant? That, uh, that only Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band uses this palindromic arch structure. And it's because that keystone chorus highlights the arrival of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. So verse one, uh, you know, it was 20 years ago today, Sgt. Pepper taught the band to play. And then we go into this, this instrumental break. You know, we get this horn quartet that symbolizes uh, this fictitious band, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, coming out on stage and beginning their, their act, their set. Then the keystone chorus, the, the, the centerpiece of this palindromic arch structure, is where you get the band itself, where Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Arts Club band. Then, um, 
the the second bridge is heard, and then the third, uh, and then the second verse is heard before uh, the coda. So the the point of this unique structure is to highlight that arrival of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Wow, <laughs> man, That's that, awesome. this, let, 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 that, that, let, I'm like this is like I'm talking to Leonard Bernstein right now. Um, that is. That is I mean, seriously, I, I I never viewed the song in that way, and 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 that is that is stunning. I mean, I mean, and Lena, this, this sounds like akin to the, the is is this akin, Aaron and Lena, to the Beatle Minute that you do? I mean, that's I mean, you yes. nailed yes. it. Yeah. Wow. And if uh, I don't remember if I've actually done the Beatles Minute about. The, the Sergeant Pepper structure about that palindromic arch structure. I, I know I had intentions to, I don't know if I actually ever did it. Um, but uh, if I haven't, I will soon um, because that's, that's the kind of thing, you know, you know, mo- most fans will never notice that and you can fully appreciate the song. You know, you can love the music without realizing how it's structured. But what I love to do is find out all that kind of little uh, nitty-gritty details because when you do find it out, it gives you an entirely new appreciation and uh, uh, for not only the music but for the Beatles' artistry, the fact that they were able to pull off um, such unusual structures. You know, no other Beatles song uses that same concept, um, and, and it, it has a narrative purpose. Uh, it's so well-crafted. Uh, and that's that's why the Beatles are so famous. Is, is, is their their music is so spectacularly well created and well made. And and it, it and it echoes something. Uh, there's a great there was a great series that uh, George Martin did several several years ago. A documentary series he did. I believe it was called The Rhythm of Life. And we had uh, mm. Ken Womack on um, oh, sure. two weeks ago. And and Ken, as you know, is is the premier expert on on George Martin and on George and Martin, yeah, swell guy. And and there's a clip in that George Martin documentary where George Martin visits Brian Wilson of of the Beach Boys, and mm-hmm. it, it is um, and as we all know, Pet Sounds was one of the direct influences on the Beatles for for Sergeant Pepper. Right. And if right. you YouTube it, you'll, you'll you'll find it. And and George and Brian are sitting in in a studio, and and basically Martin is a, is is in awe of, of Brian Wilson, and and vice versa. And they and and they're they're fiddling around with the master for God only knows that great, um, mm-hmm. powerful, sublime Beach Boys uh, song from Pet Sounds. And George starts fiddling around and basically is remixing the song. And, and Brian mm-hmm. Wilson stops in his tracks, looks at George, and says, "Oh my God, you are you are making a better mix of the song than I ever mm-hmm. thought I could do." And mm-hmm. and he's very moved, and and it's it's a great clip. So so, you know, with George Martin and and his his classical background, George Martin and his you know comedic background and his partnership. And collaboration with, with with the Beatles, musically yeah. speaking, what, what what was his influence on that album, and in, in terms of the blend and the production and 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 the arrangement there? Oh sure, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm glad you brought up Ken Womack. He's a, a good friend of, of mine, and he and I are actually co-presenting all about George Martin in uh, New Jersey in July. So he's going to take the, the biographical side and then I'll take the, the, the musical side. Uh, and, and, and together we're going to celebrate George Martin and his um, incredible contributions to this band, both uh, as, as their producer. So for, for Pepper specifically, uh, he writes in one of his books, Martin, that is, writes in one of his books that they were only using four-track tapes. And so, you know, they could have used 16 track and that could have, that would have facilitated a lot of the production. If you, if you can use 16 tracks, you have a lot more flexibility with, mm-hmm. with your, with your music. But, uh, but the Beatles didn't, they, they were stuck on this old four track tape machine. And Martin writes something along the lines of, it, it would have made the production easier had we had more tracks, but I don't think it would have made it any better if Pepper had 16 tracks. And what I think he's getting at is, is creativity thrives with when there are restrictions. So if you, if you have a completely open palette and anything and everything at your disposal, 
the creative mind stalls because there are so many possibilities. And the Beatles and George Martin, because they were limited to four tracks, had to be extremely creative. And that restriction facilitated their creativity in a way that, that they likely wouldn't have had they had more tracks to work with, had they had more flexibility. So it's a, a tremendous tribute to Martin and Jeff Emmerich, their recording engineer, in addition right. to the four Beatles themselves, that they were able to, uh, to use these limitations to their advantage uh, as a way to enhance creativity uh, as opposed to restrict it. And George Martin deserves a tremendous amount of credit uh, for, for enhancing and polishing uh, the, the, the Beatles' songs that they bring him um, and, and turning them into the, uh, hugely successful, artistically and commercially successful uh, body, body of work. Wow. You know, Sgt. Pepper mm-hmm. is, is often labeled, and if you do a Wikipedia search or what have you, and, and Sgt. Pepper is always mentioned in the, same al- in the same sentence or line as being the first concept album. And I'm a concept right. album obs- obsessive. Uh, I know we celebrated uh, okay. just a, a couple of days ago uh, the, um, the 48th anniversary of the release of Tommy by, by The Who, this rock opera, which oh, tell, tells a story. And, and there's other great concept albums out there, SF Sorrow by, by The Pretty Things, and you know even Sinatra's early um, concept mm-hmm. albums on the Capitol label, which encapsulate a mood and you know Tommy encapsulates a a story and you you read it there's a there's an interview someplace with John Lennon you know who who and maybe it was from the 1970 Jan Warner uh interview where um mm-hmm. Lennon is just tearing apart you know the Beatles myth and he's the I guess the quote is along the lines well Sgt Pepper wasn't uh, a, a, a concept album you got the first song then Billy Shears and you know, my songs have nothing to do with anything about a concept album and 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 those things. Right. And I think I think Ringo was dismissive of it as as well. You know, it's just tracks. What? Why do you think people hail it as a concept album? And if it is a concept album, in by your estimation, what is the concept? Right. Yeah. It's it's that's uh, that's a question that will be discussed and debated no doubt for years to come just as it has has been debated in in the years uh the last 50 years and and there's no easy answers uh, um the 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 lennon quote that that you're referring to he says something along the lines of it worked because we said it worked rather than yes. because it worked in its own right and so lennon isn't saying that it's not a concept album he's saying it is it it worked only because we we framed it as such. So had they not framed it as such, it's reasonable to think that it wouldn't be thought of as a concept album. So it's a really interesting distinction that Lennon's making there. He's not saying it's not a concept album. He's saying it is only because we said it was. And, and there's, there's much debate as you, as you've already pointed out over what is the first concept album. I've heard Woody Guthrie credited as uh, you know, the Dust Bowl ballads in the 30s, yep. um, Sinatra, as you mentioned, and, and there, are, there are others as well. Um, so, you know, is it a concept album? Is it not a concept album? Well, my opinion is that it is. And the concept is this artificial live show. Um, and the, the opening uh, track in the, the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band track that opens the album, uh, they give us clues to that. Uh, the the I believe it's the second verse. They say you've been a lovely audience. Uh, you know we're um, we'd love to take you home with us. We'd love to take you home. Now, what could be further from reality for this band? This is a band that stopped touring in 1966 for large part uh, because fans weren't listening because fans were just screaming their heads off. And so in in this in this album. Uh, the Beatles have not only created a fictitious band, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, but they have also created a fictitious audience to listen to this fictitious band, and one that actually does listen and appreciates the artistry and the hard work that went into their music and their performance. And so that, is the, that to me, is the key to Pepper as a concept album. It's what the Beatles wished 
their career was. It's not a reflection of reality. It's as far from reality as they could have gotten. And, and so they're, they're presenting this, this platonic ideal of what they wish their careers were rather than the reality of what their careers actually were. In that sense, I consider the whole album uh, an artificial live performance, and thus I do consider it a concept album, even though I don't consider it the first ever concept album. Agreed. And, and in the middle of that album, in you know, smack dab in the middle, we have this incredible uh, merging, melding, and, and maybe one of the first instances pre-David Byrne, pre-Brian Eno of world music. Uh, and, and George was not the first, and this was not the first, um, you know, incident where he's melding Eastern mysticism and Eastern melodies and instrumentation into his song. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I'm thinking from, from a, a musicologist perspective, such as yourself, that you must have an absolute field day with all of the nuggets and bits that go on within you without you. I think it's one of their most underrated uh, tracks, Within You Without You. Uh, and part of the reason, this gets back to George Martin, part of the reason is for the uh, the, the the break in between, the instrumental break uh, in between yeah. Harrison's verses. And uh, George Martin, what George Martin did is take um, uh, Harrison's melodies, uh, the, the notes that Harrison wrote, but he puts them in completely different rhythms. And it's actually in 5-8 in uh, rhythm, the, the, the bridges. So instead of the standard 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, 1 and 2 and 3 and 4, we instead get 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Yes. And uh, I, I, I wish I could, uh, I'm, in, I'm in my car at the moment, so I can't, I can't uh, pull out an example. But uh, if, if, if it's possible, if you could... Um, if, if you have that clip handy and you could play that break, uh, it's, it'll be a lot clearer to understand uh, what, what I'm trying to describe. Anyway, uh, so the point is Martin writes these, this instrumental break, and he uses the melody uh, of, that Harrison came up with, but he gives it completely different rhythms and rhythms that are, are rather more sophisticated than the rhythms that Harrison actually composed for the same song. Now, that in its own is pretty cool, but Harrison takes it even further because those sophisticated Indian rhythms that Martin implemented on Within You Without You are reprised in Harrison's later songs. The opening yes. of Savoy Truffle uh, has rather rhythmically sophisticated, uh, has rather sophisticated rhythms, and then he takes it even further in the, uh, the bridge of Here Comes the Sun, uh, the part that, you know, that goes, sun, 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 here it comes. Well, if you count the meters that Harrison's using, uh, they're all over the place, you know, different, uh, you know, uh, four, four meters, two, four meters, three, eight meters, five, eight meters, all intermingled. And that's a very Indian thing to do. Even though Here Comes the Sun is a Western top song, it uses Indian techniques, uh, particularly in the, the mellifluous rhythms. And so it's as if George Harrison is learning from George Martin. You know, Martin's responsible for the rhythms in Within You, Without You. And Harrison, on some level, realizes that. He says, this is really cool, what George Martin did. I'm going to do the same thing in my subsequent compositions. It's, it's funny you should mention that, because I thought, and, and, and now I, I've not heard what you just said, but George, does, George Harrison does do iterations of different things in subsequent work. Um, there's the riff in Cheer Down, which... I think appears in another solo George song. So there, there's there's some echoes of of those things, and and that he, which is also a very Indian thing to do as well. I mean, there is certain there are certain melodies and riffs that you hear in Shankar's work uh, that that you that that recur again. You know, such as uh, mm-hmm. you listen to uh, his Concerto for Sitar and Orchestra Number no. One, which is a stunning piece of work. Um, a, a lot of those. Those melodies and bits um, from Shankar come up again in, in on his Gandhi son- soundtrack, and and then in his beautiful mm. uh, tribute Arpan that um, is performed at the concert for George in 2002, um, with, mm. which it, in in many ways is is it, it's it's almost like the culmination of within you without you and that that journey that spiritual journey that 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 George is on. Um, Talk with us about the significance, uh, if you will, of of Harrison, this you know Liverpool scruff, uh, 
um, yeah. you know, who 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 takes on Ravi Shankar and and just is never the same afterwards. Uh, and 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 maybe the 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 impact of of the East on the West and vice versa in in Harrison's music and 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 so on. Yeah, I have to admit, I don't know their solo careers nearly as well as I know the Beatles' years uh, uh, output. So I'm afraid I can't take it into George's solo career simply because I just I just haven't done the the, the analysis. I haven't done my homework for that aspect of his career. But it is absolutely fascinating to me. It, it, yeah. yeah, but it, it it is absolutely fascinating to me how uh, how you see this progression. For example. Um, you know, it's it's while filming Help that that George first sees the sitar, and uh, later that year for Norwegian Wood, Off Rubber Soul, uh, he he uses an Indian instrument, the sitar, but he uses it in a Western style, meaning the only thing that makes it Indian is the fact that it is an Indian instrument. But that Indian instrument is played as if it was a Western instrument, like a guitar. Uh, and then, and then the following year, '66, uh, he does "Love You Too" for Revolver, and that goes a step further. Uh, it's it's still more rooted in Western styles than traditional Indian styles, but it, it's it's more towards the Indian style than Norwegian Wood was. Then, uh, on Pepper, "Within You, Without You," is the first to cross that halfway point. It's it's a song that leans more towards the Indian uh, styles than than Western. And uh, the only Beatle to perform on that is Harrison singing. Uh, all the instrumentals are are session musicians, and of course that would um, that would continue the inner light from '68. Uh, but in in my opinion, the culmination of that is "Here Comes the Sun" for its rhythmic complexities and its its metric, uh, it, its its constantly changing meters. Even though it's a Western pop song, uh, that culminates Harrison's Eastern influences. Absolutely, man, and and Ringo's drumming on that particular track. I mean, it's pretty mm-hmm. difficult for a drummer and, and for somebody who was such a stickler for time as Ringo. I, I mean, right. he, it almost the, 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 his his drum fills almost sound tabla like. Correct. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's um, it, it's it's. It, I, I'm glad you mentioned that. My wife for a while worked at a, a music store in Connecticut. And every time I would pick her up from work, uh, I would hear her piano students off to my right, and I would hear the store's drum students off to my left. And the drum teacher there apparently really liked Here Comes the Sun because he was always giving it to his little drum students. The problem is, if you're a five-year-old novice drummer, all you're going to do is massacre the sophisticated rhythms of Here Comes the Sun. And so I've heard all these, you know, these aspiring drummers, no offense to any five-year-old drummers out there, but I, I've heard all these, these, these little drum students just, just, uh, just absolutely uh, destroy this song because it's really hard to keep it in time and perfectly in sync. And of course, Ringo, uh, who's hugely underrated as a drummer, uh, pulls it off masterfully. Yeah, that uh, well, well, there just went the five-year-old drum student audience for the Pepper Mindset. Aaron, thanks a lot, man. <laughs> They've just turned us off and and are now uh, tweeting at us uh, obscenities yeah. and uh, ridicule. So, uh, old people. <laughs> I'm, I, w- I would love it if someone. Uh, I would love it if someone, uh, in response to that comment, filmed their five-year-old drummer nailing that song if, if if anybody out there can do that i will i will post it all over my social media accounts and uh i, I would love that <laughs> you know as a, as a as a parting as a parting shot here aaron um you know beethoven you know when we think of beethoven we we think of either the the that fifth symphony you know or we we think of oh, yeah. you know that that riff or, or the ninth symphony we think of the the, the concluding ode to joy piece, you know, Mo- Mozart. It might be, um, you know, little night music. We, you know, we we th- there are these kind of identifiable riffs that that will stay with us and 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 sustain us. And and anyone and any part mm-hmm. of the world can identify. Oh, that's Beethoven. What what do you right. think? Iconic. Is, I, I, yes, iconic. What what is what do you think will be? From your standpoint as a scholar, as a musicologist, as as a Beatles expert, what what is going to be that that iconic riff a hundred years from now when it comes to Sergeant Pepper? 
when it comes to Pepper specifically, hmm, it's because uh, yeah. what I was originally going to say is the Hard Day's Night chord and the bass line oh, yeah, for Come yeah, Together, yeah. but none, neither yeah, of those we'll, are Pepper. We'll so Pepper specifically, um, the the uh, well, first of all, the the cover is absolutely iconic. That's been parodied by so many things, The Simpsons. Um, and, and countless others. In fact, just uh, in, in about a week, I'm going to head up to uh, the University of Michigan and uh, uh, Ann Arbor, and they have a big 50th anniversary celebration of Sgt. Pepper. And Ken Orth, who I'm sure many people are aware, he's, mm-hmm. uh, he's uh, an authority on album covers. And uh, Ken put together a little collage of uh, a, a Sgt. Pepper parody of all the different presenters at this University of Michigan conference. And you can find it if you, if you Google search University of Michigan, Sergeant Pepper, uh, you'll, you can find in the, in the program, uh, they have this, this collage parody of the Pepper cover. So, so independent of the music, I think the cover uh, is already is, and will continue to be uh, one of the iconic defining characters of this album or characteristics of this album. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, in, in your um, your listing there, obviously, the, the opening chord from Hard Day's Night, the the bass uh, drum fill opening from Come Together, those are iconic. You know, I was I was hoping and I, I'm, I hope our friend Jude Kessler is, is listening. I was I was hoping that you would is. mention the opening notes, to, the opening notes to Mr. Moonlight, uh, that beautiful <laughs> vocal tour de force by John Lennon. I was hoping for that, man. <laughs> That's always been one of my favorites too, actually, but uh, for very different reasons. Well, well, thank you, and, and again, we we have now added someone else to the club of two of Mr. Moonlight. Um, Jude and I are firmly <laughs> in that club, and now and now you are in the club yeah. of three. Lena, I think, is I'm scoffing at all of us. <laughs> <laughs> she's she's not as awesome. So I have divided the Indiana <laughs> Alliance successfully. That right. is the goal of of this entire this entire interview. Right. Aaron Kadovich, you are absolutely the man, and I am so glad that uh, I have gotten to to meet you in this interview and and learn more about you. And I look forward to. Um, to checking out uh, your 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 books, uh, Beetle Study Volume One and Two, and and then at some point, um, I mean you you and Ken uh, Womack hanging out together, uh, co-presenting. I I I, I want to play the cowbell at, at at that presentation. So uh, I wish you well with that, and and you you have uh, you've just been an awesome and and great guest, a fab guest, if you will. Fab, I love it. Thank you for hosting, and uh, and enjoy my my good friend Marty, who's I, I'm told is coming up shortly. Yes, we're looking yes. forward to meeting her, and uh, Lena will will be providing some um, uh, Eastern mystic uh, drone music for us, I believe. Yes, I will. Perfect. We are going to pay a little tribute to that world music we've been you you gentlemen were so eloquently speaking about. Thank you so much, Aaron. It was great to have you on, and we'll see you soon. That is so fab, isn't it, Sean? It it really is. Tomorrow never knows. Uh, I I never tire of of that track. I I don't either. Um, and that really sort of is the soundtrack of my life. I'm very much um, in the Ringo boat of all of his witticisms, and uh, Tomorrow Never Knows is definitely one of mine. Okay, I'm going to see if if Marty is on the line. Hello, Marty. Hello. Are you there? Hi. Hi. How are you? Can you hear me? Yes. We can hear you fine, Marty. We this are... is Sean. <laughs> okay. 
Hi, Sean. Hi, Lena. How are you doing? Great. So glad you could be on the show today. I'm I'm honored for you to have me. Go ahead, John. Okay, we're we're working out our our um, in, here in the virtual Abbey Road Studios. We just got so taken aback with uh, Tomorrow Never Knows uh, that that I'm I'm tripping over um, Penny Lena. So I apologize for that, um, Marty. It's great to have you here, and and I I I don't know many people. I've not met any people, and I'm meeting you for the first time here in, in the Pepper Mindset, uh, who's actually had a close encounter. With the Fab Four. Yeah. Yeah. Back in 64, um, I attended their Chicago press conference and presented them with a plaque from our Chicagoland Beautiful People fan club. And that's amazing. My book book talks about all the trials that we had leading up to it. (laughs) And it 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 sounds a lot like and as 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 you as you just sum that up i'm i'm hearing in the background uh bye bye birdie i i'm imagining uh ann margaret um you know that great that great uh i guess 1962 62 63 uh film uh you know about a young you know she was the president of this rock idols uh fan club and 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 got to kiss her rock idol on the ed sullivan show and I, I'm just charmed by that. So it, I remember that. Mm-hmm. Great, great film. So, so maybe, maybe share with us uh, a, a, a little bit um, of those misadventures leading up to this this fateful meeting with with John Paul George and Ringo. Well, uh, I have had eight by ten glossy black and whites that have never been published of uh, my fan club presenting the plaque and that press conference. And I was telling uh, Joe, my co-author, last year all about it, and he said, oh, sure. (laughs) And I said, no, I have the pictures. I'll show you. So I pulled out the pictures, showed them to him, related the story to him, and he said, you know, you've got to write a book about this. You've got to share these with other fans, which is what I wanted to do. And I said, you know, Joe, I was 16 years old in 1964. He said, there's the title of your book, 16 and 64. So, um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, it was an adventure. We, you know, in Chicago as early as February of 63, WLS Radio was playing Beatles because they had had... um, that DJ recording label uh, had contracted several early releases with them. And so for a long time, we were hearing Beatle music way ahead of other people. Uh, and um, by the time the Ed Sullivan show came around, we were ardent fans. Our whole group of uh, where I grew up in Park Forest, we just had so many fans there already. And um, I can tell you about the story of I was sitting on the floor in front of the TV, cross-legged. I was age 15 years old, and my mother was sitting next to me. And we watched the Ed Sullivan show together. And um, I said, you know, Mom, I'm going to meet them. And she said, oh, oh yeah, you and uh, thousands of other girls, <laughs> and I said, no, I think I think I can do it. I think there's a way that I can do it. I'm gonna really try. <laughs> anyway, that's where the idea for the band club started, and it expanded very rapidly in our little town. And um, oh, we had so much fun. We'd have Beatle rallies, and we make cookies and take them to the senior citizens. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, it grew It grew to about 500 members very quickly. In fact, so fast that um, we decided we had to get a P.O. box. And, of course, oh, I, was wow. only, I was only 15, and I couldn't get a P.O. <laughs> box. So my mother 
my mother decided she'd go and get one for us, and we were doing uh, bi-monthly newsletters and sending them out to all of our uh, fan club members. Anyway, it was, uh, we were, you know, had our thoughts were, we're going to do this somehow. And one of us came up with the idea, let's make a flag up for the Beatles. Maybe we can present it to them at their press conference. Well, then that led to who do we have to contact to do this? How do we go about it? And we were pretty um, set and in our mind that we were going to do this one way or another. But... Uh, that uh, the station, WLF, used to play Beatles songs continuously. So we got the idea to uh, go down to the station in Chicago and see what if we could get them to announce our fan club. And in those days, we were able to walk into the station, and there was a big glass window where you could see the DJ that was on the air. So we would hold up signs and all sorts of things, posters, to try to get him to read the name of our fan club over the air. And at one point we decided that we were going to try to contact um, George Harrison's sister because, you know, at that time she lived in Benton, Illinois, which is in southern Illinois. And That's right. Were, Louise Harrison. Yeah, Louise uh, Louise Caldwell Harrison, uh, and we were able to find her cell phone number relatively easily. We called her, introduced ourselves, asked us, asked her if we would, um, if she would uh, sponsor our club. And she didn't have to do anything; just we would like to say that she was our sponsor. That was it. And she was just the nicest person on the phone, and uh, agreed to do that. And so um, we were able to use her as our sponsor for the fan club. Um, at a wow. certain point, yeah, at a certain point, the fan club was up 1,200 members. Hmm. And we were pretty much doing nothing but fan club newsletters and, you know, and still in high school and all the things that we had to do. <laughs> For our other parts of life, you know, but we were determined to persevere and try to meet people. Well, I came up with the idea, since we were going down to WLS so often, I took a part-time job down there, and it was just Mm -hmm. on Saturdays, and I was able to kind of put my... uh, Listening ears out to find <laughs> to find out <laughs> who was who was going to uh, you know my sleuth uh, detective ears to find out when the um, concert was coming and we found out it was coming in August of 1964 their tour and what I uh, was Triangle Theatrical Productions that was bringing them into Chicago. And we were able to contact a few people there. And um, it was just a a waiting game, waiting to hear from them. And we did finally receive confirmation, the Chicago tour, that um, our fan club was invited to the um, conference. Well, you can imagine how we felt. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we were mass just, hysteria <laughs> Oh, mass hysteria is right But um, Just the day before The concert All of the um, uh, Conference uh, Invitations had been recalled So we didn't know If we were going to be able to present This plaque after all And um there was a local, I don't know if you remember Lee Phillips' television show in Chicago? Mm-mm. Not 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 familiar with it. The only thing I remember from Chicago on TV, because both my parents are from Chicago, was Bozo on WGN. That's Okay. 
Well, this yeah. was uh, this was on a CVS affiliate there, and they had actually contacted us uh, because they heard that we were such a large fan club, and they um, asked us, uh, could we be on their show after the Beatles were in town? And, of course, oh, we indeed. jumped at that. You know, that was wonderful. But um, being afraid that I wouldn't be able to present the plaque to the Beatles, um, I did call them and I said, would you, would you take the plaque for us? Because I knew that they were going to a press conference and would you present it to the Beatles for, for our fans? And uh, she said that she would. And um, so anyway, it all wrapped up that by chance, being at the Stockyard Inns, uh, our dads had taken us down to the concert and had set uh, some of us at the bar and ordered Cokes and chips for us while they were in the bar there. And we turned around and just happened to see Derek Taylor. Oh, and he he was sitting at the bar talking to my dad. Well, we jumped up and knocked over the table when we, <laughs> when we saw him, ran over to him and the three of us, and he said, well, how did you girls get in the bar? <laughs> and then my dad spoke up and said, well, she's my daughter, and they have a Beatles fan club, and, you know, she's trying to present this plaque. He said, well, where's the plaque? I said, well, I don't have it anymore. I've given it to a um, photographer. And uh, I said, just a minute, Mr. Taylor. Don't go anywhere. Please stay here. And mm-hmm. I ran out into the hotel lobby oh. looking for Lee Phillips and her photographer. And I found mm-hmm. them, pulled the plaque out of their hands, and said, <laughs> I've got to show this to Derek. And I ran off and back into the bar. Oh. Anyway, we showed him the plaque, and he he said, "Well, I think you girls should just present this. It's a beautiful plaque. You should just present this at the conference." So he sketched on a little piece of paper his name, and he he asked uh, for them to please admit us to the conference, hmm. and we were able to then go up and uh, and present the plaque eventually, and it was just a such a thrill for us after all those months of such hard work and you can imagine it was just unbelievable for us. So which Beatle was your favorite? Mine was John. <laughs> John was my favorite Beatle. And, um, you know, we, we did, uh, I'm trying to think back talking about, how this how they affected the world. Well they affected the world in, in every regard. And, you know, in the early sixties it was so turbulent, things going on in our society at the time. Um that the Beatles were like a fresh breath of air, created this positive note for all the youth of the country. And um that's the way I felt about it. And um hmm. Of course, leading up to the spring of 67, you know, um, that was, I was 19 years old that spring. I was attending art school. Um, I went to the Art Institute of Chicago. And that was one influence that the Beatles had on me, going, getting into the art world. Um, hmm. But I think the, the two key words for that time, you know, it was just a time of excitement and everything was changing, and I think the two key words were change and experiment that summer. Hmm. And there was there was experiment in everything, in the business world, in art. Uh, a lot of my friends were going to art happenings in Chicago and uh, avant-garde um, pr- presentations of art and so forth. So um, I think it was only natural that um, it crossed over. Well, it was in music also, and mm-hmm. and that's when the Beatles and the Beatles, of course, started 
experimenting in the studio with um, all their sounds, and which Aaron so stated so eloquently all the things that um, went on, you know, at that time. So um, it was just a, an exciting time for us all. And I was just so happy to be a part of that time. But um, I'm looking forward to attending uh, the Chicago Beatles Fest and maybe seeing some of my old friends back there. <laughs> That's terrific. I'll be there. I'll get to meet you in live in person. That'll be fun. It really will be. And um, I'm looking forward to it so much. And um, anyway, I, I thank you guys for having me on. I feel like feel really honored for you to to have me participate in your mindset shows. And okay, ours. tell us ours, Marty. Uh, tell us Marty how we can buy your book, sixteen and sixty four. Yes. Well it's on Amazon as an e book only and it's sixteen and sixty four titled The Beatles and the Baby Boomers. And also we have a website. 16and64.com, and we have our book for sale on that, a hardcover, and um, it includes all the 8 by 10s that I wanted to share with the fans that I've had Fabulous. for 50-some year, years before I ever did anything with, with them, you know, but um, so 16 and 64, and there's an e-book on that also. Okay. That's terrific. Well, we will see you in Chicago. That is going to be an exciting festival. Be sure that you, um, if you're listening and you want more information about the Chicago Beatles Fest, you can go to www.thefest.com, and you can get all the information. The tickets are on sale now, and I know they're booking rooms and, and all of that. So be sure you check out the Chicago Fest So thank you so much for being on today, Marty. I really appreciate it. I'm so happy that you've done this. It's so successful. I've enjoyed all your um, broadcasts that you've had. Oh, well, thank you so much. We really appreciate all of of our guests and um, the listeners taking your time to uh, be a part of the show and everyone's Pretty pretty busy these days, so we really appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to to uh, be on the show, and we will see you in Chicago. Great, thank you. I'm looking forward to it. Thanks, Marty. Bye. Thank you, Sean. All right, Sean. So, do we have some thoughts that we want to put together? as far as the global connection with the Beatles. And I know we had um, maybe talked a little bit about um, the concert for Bangladesh and um, how that uh, influence could um, inspire schools to take global action, that sort of thing. What are your thoughts on all of that? Well, I would say it's it was great getting to know our guests today and and we saw that you know in in Aaron's case the Beatles had a direct impact on his life to pursue and and study music and and to study the Beatles and and then we saw um with Marty you know how the Beatles had an impact on her life and she was able to stay resilient and not only meet the Beatles but then also as she just shared uh, she she pursued her passion for art, and from an educator perspective, anything or anyone that that can that can do that, whether it's a band or music or art that can inspire kids to do great things, um, that is, I mean that's that's what that's what this Pepperland principle wants. Um, <laughs> you know. When when the Beatles broke up, George, uh, as you mentioned, the concert for Bangladesh, which um, 
you know, again, another culminating event for George where uh, we have the first, you know, kind of major rock charity. And that was all done uh, with his friendship with Ravi Shankar and the country Bangladesh had been just ravaged um, by by floods and, 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 and poverty. And, and he, George, you know, instead of just writing a song about it or, or sending a check, uh, took global action mm-hmm. and pulled together, as you know, an all-star group of Ringo Starr and Eric Clapton, and, you know, he got Bob Dylan out of hiding, and, and, and they performed mm-hmm. this incredible uh, concert with Leon Russell, um, Phil Spector yeah. produced, and Bad, Bad Finger uh, was there, and it's, it's, it's just a marvelous, marvelous uh, show. And I think the same thing for schools where – you know, we are called not only to just build a global awareness and to have a, uh, you know, whatever that kumbaya day is or, you know, have a corner in the bulletin board, but schools are compelled to take global action and, and to inspire students to take global action, whether, whether it is to, you know, raise money for uh, students uh, in, a, in a war-torn country such as Syria, refugees there, Malayla, you know, who, um, you know, the, the, the young girl who, you know, just won the Nobel Peace Prize about a year or so ago, mm-hmm. you know, talked about how one pen, one teacher, one school can change the world. And, you know, we, we saw that um, with not only with George with the concert for Bangladesh, but we see that in some of the schools. And, I, I, you know, I blogged about that. One of my, one of my dear friends, Fran Syracuse, I hope she's listening, you know, formed uh, – uh, you know, got got some of her um, her son's friends and 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 his colleagues to to take global action to wear to raise awareness for clean water in in impoverished countries. You know, things like that are happening in the schoolhouse where kids are not just learning about these places, but but are compelled to take action for social justice. So, I think the Beatles and and specifically George with the concert for Bangladesh give us that lesson to 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 enact and and inspire today. Very well said. Very well said, Sean. Um, you have great insight and great, um, um, you know, what I'm saying. Yeah, karma. <laughs> you have, uh, yeah, <laughs> no. Um, you have great. Thanks. You have a great perspective of things, and and I really appreciate you putting all of that, um, lining all that out for the listeners, and uh, having your um, you know, commentary on all of it is very, very um, interesting. So I think we're going to have to wrap it up today. I want to be sure and remind everyone listening, you can check out Aaron Kadovich on his website. He's on social media. So if you're if you're listening to this show, you can look at the show page to see how to spell his name and find his website. You can also find Marty's website there as well, 16in64.com. And be sure you check out your Pepperland Principles blog site, as he was mentioning earlier. It's www.principallinernotes.wordpress.com. And you can find me at... Um, lanastag.com. There's also lots of social media out there going on. You can find us all there. We love to chit-chat with people and uh, take any of your suggestions and any of your commentary. We love all of that. So next week we have a very exciting show once again. It will be our finale, and we're going to talk about making your masterpiece. You know, the Beatles made Sgt. Pepper quite a masterpiece. So we're going to talk about making your masterpiece. We're going to once again have John Lennon expert Jude Sutherland Kessler, and she will have an extraordinary spin on making your masterpiece. And speaking of masterpieces, we have a mosaic artist, Ed Chapman, who will join us as well. Ed's mother went to art school with John and Stu. woo So it will be super fun. Yes, super exciting and um, great to hear, uh, hear Ed um, speak about that experience. So 
we will sign off. Sean, thank you again for a terrific show. You did a marvelous thank job you, putting Lena. it all together. Appreciate you, my Pepperland partner, and look for hey, the next time we talk, we will have listened to the 50th anniversary release of Sgt. Pepper coming out in two days. That is right. Absolutely. Sgt. Pepper, forever and ever. <laughs> and strawberry Thanks field. so much, Sean. Thanks, Lena. All right. Take care. And that's going to wrap it up for today. Recipe Records is Food for Thought, Food for the Soul, Food for the Love of Rock and Roll.